right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. And if you need a Bible, there should be some around you, either underneath you, in front of you, or behind you under the chairs. And if you're using one of those Bibles, you're going to go to page 1245. We're going back to the book of Acts, chapter 12, and we're starting in verse 20 this week. So if you're joining us today, we've been working our way through the book of Acts. We take breaks from time to time, and so we're back in the book of Acts for a couple more weeks, and we'll take a break in August and do, do a topical series for the month of August, and then after Labor Day, we'll settle back in the book of Acts. And um, let me just say this about the verses we're going to look at this morning. Now, this is one of the reasons why I, I love being able to preach through a book of the Bible and just go with what's next, because it forces you to talk about some things that you wouldn't normally want to talk about. And so, for instance, some of the stuff that we're going to look at this morning, um, for those of you visiting, this is not a great visitor sermon. <laughs> so I, I'm, just, I'm just throwing that out there. I mean, this is, this is going to be some topics this morning that, you know, it, it's not going to necessarily leave you with warm and fuzzies, and that's not what I would intend to do anyway, but it's, it's tough stuff to wrestle with. But as we work our way through a book, it forces us to, to talk about some of those things that maybe we wouldn't necessarily gravitate to. So I want to read the verses this morning. And then let me say this too, because there's something in these verses that I used to think when I was younger, the Bible was boring, and I never read it, and I, I hear that all the time, it's just boring. You know, I'd rather read other stuff, fiction, or other things, non-fiction, that, of this. Look, the Bible has every single genre that you would want to read, and there are some things that as you're reading through the Bible, you're, you're going to go, what? That's in there? It's, it's got one of those this morning too. So let's take a look at, at Acts chapter 12. We'll look at our verses and then I'll tell you where we're going from there. But in case, you, in case you doze off between now and then, here's what I want you to walk away with this morning. You will either give God glory or get God's wrath. And that's not meant to communicate a formula like I just, I praise God from time to time and then I'm saved from his wrath. That's not, not what that's meant to communicate. You'll, you'll get it more as you stay tuned. But your option is you give God glory or you're going to get God's wrath. And, and that's the hard stuff we're going to be talking about this morning. So let's see how that develops as we go through Acts. So here we are. Now Herod was having an angry quarrel with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So last week we picked up King Herod. Remember, this is not the same King Herod. That was king when Jesus was born. This is like great-grandson or grandson Herod. So they had the same name, right? And they, this is now a different Herod. Now remember last week, he imprisoned two people, James and Peter and and James was executed. And Peter, Herod had the same intent to do the same thing with Peter or more, but Peter was rescued by an angel. We're picking up that story. And so Herod, he, he's traveling down to another area that he has some authority over, and he's, he's angry with these people. So he goes down there to visit them. And they join, so picking up in verse 20, so they joined together and presented themselves before him. And after convincing Blastus, the king's personal assistant, to help them, they asked for peace. Because their country's food supply was provided by the king's country. Verse 21, on a day determined in advance, Herod put on his royal robes, sat down on the judgment seat, and made a speech to them. But the crowd began to shout, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck Herod down because he did not give the glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. See what I mean? Like it, it, there's a few places that happen like that where someone hangs themselves and they fall around, their belly bursts open and they're eaten by worms. Or in this case, God strikes them with an, by, by an angel and ultimately the way he dies is he's eaten by worms. I mean, that's, 
You wouldn't expect that. I'm just saying, you wouldn't expect that. Verse 24, but the word of God kept on increasing and multiplying. So Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem when they had completed their mission, bringing along with them John Mark. So, I mean, what's going on in these verses on one level is real simple. So, see, so the, in the book of Acts, we've seen that, that the, the gospel is continuing to spread by the power of, of the Spirit of God. Jesus' ministry is continuing on earth through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we've seen that the gospel empowered by the Spirit is continuing to spread and reach different people. And along the way, the, the people who are following Jesus, the followers of Jesus who are now known as Christians, they, they have become against some op- op- opposition. They've, they've come against some persecution at times. And we've seen that happen throughout the, the book of Acts so far. They get imprisoned and then they get beaten or they get threatened and then they get let go. In this case, uh, they, the, one of them's killed. You might remember Stephen in chapter 7. Stephen was stoned to death. And so there's been opposition along the way. And yet, even though there's opposition along the way, the gospel, the word of God, has continued to spread. And on one level, on a very simple level, what's happening in this verse is we see another place where the gospel comes against opposition, but this time by a king, a person in authority, a person with power. He tries to stop it by, by arresting two of the leaders, James and Peter. We saw that last week. But now this week we see God's response to him. And God removes him out of the way so that the gospel can continue to spread. And so you see that in verse 24, but the word of God kept on increasing and multiplying. It kept spreading and people were responding to the message of God. And so not even a person in power, not even a king can stop and squash what God is doing with the gospel in the book of Acts. On one level, that's, that's what you see going on here is the gospel is going to continue to spread. On another level, though, we see what might seem like a pretty severe response on God's part to Herod. So Herod, a king... He's sitting on his kingly throne, his, his, his throne, perhaps it's the Bema seat in this case where you would issue some kind of decree or some kind of judgment. And while he's talking to the people here who have gathered together to, to appeal to him, they start chanting out the voice of a God and not of a man. They start praising him and elevating him above the level of authority that he's been given. And he receives it. And it's, you know, it's like when you receive a compliment, you know, I mean, it's one of the hardest things for pastors, preachers, it's one of the hardest things for us to figure out how to navigate. When we're done preaching, someone comes up to us and says, hey, good job, that was a really good message. What do you say? I mean, you could say thank you, and then that's the, the simplest and easiest way to go, and, and perhaps maybe the most sincere at times, but, but sometimes you wrestle with that because you say thank you, and you go, but really, I'm not really the one who should get the credit. Right? But then you don't want to necessarily give that overly, you know, overly churched answer where, well, all praise and glory go to God, brother, sister. You know what I mean? You don't want to deflect it like that because that, that, I mean, that may be true, but it may not come off the same. And so it's just, it's just a, a struggle. Right? But the goal in doing that is that whenever we receive that praise, we want to try to reflect it to God. Maybe you have that struggle in some areas of your life where you're trying to follow Jesus and, and along the way, uh, he, he enables you and allows you to do something that's noteworthy allows you to accomplish something that people take notice of and they compliment you. And you realize, were it not for God, I, I wouldn't have been able to do that. But for the grace of God, there go I. And so you, you want to give glory to God in that moment? Well, not Herod. Not Herod. 
So Herod received that praise, the voice of a God and not of a man. And God responds. And he responds by sending an angel to strike him. Now, just, just for those of you who like history a little bit, there's a guy named Josephus who was a Jewish historian who wrote along around this time. And he, he also tells the same story, but he helps put the, the picture together. So it wasn't though that, that, that Herod was just struck and immediately died because Josephus tells us he got sick that day. And a couple days later he died and he had worms. And so what Luke is trying to tell us in the gospel is how this came about. But sometimes when we, when we see what's, what's being written, we just make some assumptions. Like he struck dead right there and fell. But he didn't. He got sick. God struck him with the angel that day. Luke wants us to know this was God's doing. And Josephus helps us to understand the, the way that played out as we look at history. A couple days later, he was dead. Worms. Now that seems pretty severe. And, and, and maybe as you're reading, it, reading this or hearing this, you're thinking, this is why I have a problem with God. This is why I have a problem following a God like this. Or maybe, maybe you would voice it this way. This is why I have a problem with the God of the Old Testament. But why is this happening in the New Testament? And so sometimes we like to separate those two and we say God is one thing in the Old Testament. He was wrathful and he was vengeful and he exercised justice and he did horrible things. But the God of the New Testament, Jesus, he comes and he's loving and God is gracious and he's compassionate. He's merciful. And we have trouble reconciling those, those two pictures, those two testaments. And so what I want you to get this morning is it's the same God. Both Testaments. From the left side of your Bible and the right side of your Bible. The same God. He hasn't changed. And yet, we don't see a lot of this stuff happening in the New Testament like we do in the Old Testament. But you need to understand why God responds the way he does. And so there's two, two things I want to I wanna help, help us understand this morning. The first one is this. God created all things for his glory. We've got to start there. In order to understand why God would respond in such a severe, to us, severe manner, we've got to understand who God is. Because what happens to us is, is maybe we read the Bible from time to time where it's been a while since we've read the Bible or, or maybe we, we just kind of get devotional diets and we don't really get a good picture of who God is because we're not reading through whole books of the Bible. We're not reading through larger chunks. And so we only get those inspirational verses. And that creates in our mind a picture of God that's encouraging, a picture of God that lifts people up, a picture of God that's inspiring and I want to follow him. And then when we see things like this, an angel strikes Herod and he dies by being eaten by worms. We're going, wait a minute, that doesn't reconcile with my understanding of God. And I want to say to you this morning that when that happens to us, when we get a picture of God that, that doesn't fit with our understanding, the issue is usually not a problem with God. The issue is usually that we have an understanding of God that needs to be adjusted and realigned. And it gets realigned as we look through the scriptures. And so the first thing we got to keep in mind is God created all things for his glory. There is no one else, no thing, no person, higher, greater than God. The Bible starts out that way, right? Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created. In other words, he was there before what we know as the beginning. God has no beginning, he has no end. And in our understanding of what the beginning is, the Bible, Moses tells us in Genesis, God created all that we know and see. It starts there. 
There's no one higher than him. He is the supreme being. He is the sovereign. There's no one that outranks him. There's no one that has authority over him. He is above all. Now, most of us don't have a problem with that. When it's described that way, most of us don't have a problem with that. God, he's God, of course. If he's going to be God, he's got to be over everything, over everybody. Most of us don't have a problem with God creating. Maybe we have some different understandings about how he went about that creation. But most of us in this room probably don't have a problem with God creating. But when you start to flesh this out, and you understand God is above all, there's no one greater, then you need to understand that God's purpose in creating all things, it's not because he had a need. God didn't create because somehow his creation was going to fill a need that he lacked. In fact, when he, when he was creating, he said he created humanity and he created humanity in his image. And part of us being made in his image is that we would represent him among all the rest of creation, that we would bring him glory, but we're still created. The highest thing the greatest thing, a creature, something, someone that's created, the highest and greatest thing that we can do is bring glory to the one who created us. There's no greater pursuit in our life. There's no higher calling in our life. There's nothing that we can, we can go after with more zeal, inappropriate zeal, than to bring God glory in whatever we do. And the New Testament picks up on that where Paul would say, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all things to the glory of God. I mean, it's a common theme, right? But we've got to start there. In fact, Psalm 19, verse 1, some of you might recognize this, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky displays his handiwork. All of creation points to the creator, and God put that on display so that it would reflect his glory. Paul, the apostle in the book of Romans, chapter 1, picks up on that. And in the midst of saying that God is pouring out his wrath on the unrighteousness of people, he starts to explain why. And his reason why is he says they have no excuse for not acknowledging God. Because God's evidence in all of creation, his supreme power, his authority, his eternality, he says all of that is evident in creation. God has put on display creation for his glory. And so it is right and it is appropriate for those who have been created by God to pursue his glory, to live in a way that brings him glory, that points to him, that doesn't instead point to us, that doesn't make ourselves the highest authority, the highest being. It doesn't stop there. It goes beyond that to God. It's, it's not to, to stop with an experience that we have or a relationship that we have here on earth. It's not that those things were meant to be the end all be all. Those things to, to the level that they're good are meant to point us to the one who's greater. It is right and appropriate for us to give glory to God in all that we do. God created all things for his glory. And so... Anything that opposes then his glory is wrong. And the Bible calls that sin. And so the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3.23 says it this way. And I'm going to pick up with verse 21 just for some context. Paul's talking about how everybody, regardless of your background, regardless of what nationality you were, whether you were Jew or Gentile, everybody has been separated because of sin from God. He says, but now apart from the law of righteousness of God, although it is attested by the law and the prophets, 
has been disclosed. Namely, verse 22, the righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. So stop there for a minute. Paul says, it's for all who believe. What God offers, this righteousness through Christ, it's for all who believe. And he's saying, among those who believe, there's no distinction. Doesn't matter what your color of your skin is. Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter what your upbringing is. Among all who believe, he says, there's no distinction because here's what we all have in common. All have sinned. And look how he qualifies all have sinned. And they have fallen short. They fall short of the glory of God. To oppose God's glory is sin. To glorify anything else other than God, anyone else other than God, is sin. It's wrong. It's opposition to God. It's rebellion against God. We have to start here in order to understand what's going on in the book of Acts. Why does God give such a severe response? It starts with who God is. And when we start to diminish our understanding of who God is and we start to bring him down and elevate other things, whether that's ourself or or other idols of some kind or other gods of some kind, then, then we start to have a problem with why God would do what he would do. Because we start to view him through our own understanding. We start to view him through our own understanding of what's good and what's right and what's just. And God's the standard of what's good and what's right and what's just. And we've got to understand that all things were created for his glory. And it's good and right for creation to bring him glory. But when anything in creation opposes that glory, it's sin. And opposition to God's glory brings God's wrath. And now this is something we don't like to talk about because God's loving, God's gracious, God's merciful, he's compassionate. And he is all of those things. Always has been, always will be. But when we talk about God's wrath, we're talking about an attribute of his character, of who he is, and it shows up in his response to sin. It is how God, who is also holy, is completely set apart. He's not like us. He's not tainted by sin. There's no darkness in him at all. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. When, when, when God who is light and there's no darkness in him, when God who is holy and completely set apart, when he is wronged, when something happens, someone opposes his glory, his justice also must be present. And someone who is absolutely perfectly just must respond to injustice. And sin is injustice against God. It's opposition. It's rebellion. And the response of God towards sin is wrath. And you hear about God's wrath a lot in the Old Testament. You hear about it a whole lot in the Old Testament. But when you get to the New Testament, depending on what parts you read, you don't necessarily see it. But go back to Acts chapter, I think it's 5. And you remember this, this couple named Ananias and Sapphira? And how they were bringing some money to the church, but they lied about how much they were bringing? And do you remember what happened to them? One at a time, without knowing it, one came in, struck dead by God because he lied. The wife comes in, struck dead by God because she lied. And we talked about the severity of that and understanding who God is back then. And we haven't really had something like that until now. And so now we're going to talk about it again. God's response to opposition is wrath. He pours out his wrath towards sin. He must. Because if he doesn't pour out his wrath towards sin, he's not just. Because if God, who is absolutely holy and absolutely just, allows sin to go unpunished, then he's not God. 
He's not just. There's something lacking in him if that's the case. But God's response to sin is wrath. And it's a right response when God responds that way. Now, I get mad a lot. I get frustrated. And sometimes I might even make comments to my kids like, you're going to feel my wrath, you know, or something like that. It's nowhere near this, for one. And it's, and it's not right like it is with God. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times where being angry is, there's a, there's a type of anger that is good and right in us. It's, it's that, that righteous anger where we, because God is opposed or injustice take place and it, and it arouses anger within us. That's good and right. The problem is it doesn't usually stay good and right for very long within us. But with God, anger and wrath is never wrong within him. It's not tainted by sin. It's not tainted by by anything impure. God doesn't just act in his wrath because he's letting emotions lead the way. God is never wrong when he responds to opposition to his glory with wrath. And here's the thing about that. We talk about wrath and and look what John, this is Jesus' words. So John chapter three, verse 36. You know John 3.16 and it's a great verse and we love this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting or eternal life depending on your translation. We love that but we don't usually go on past that when we quote things. And just later on in that chapter, Jesus has some very sobering words. John chapter 3, verse 36. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. And we cheer for that, absolutely. But then look at the next part of that verse. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life, but God's wrath remains on him. What do you notice about that second part of that verse? God's wrath remains on him. What does that mean? that it's already there. Before someone trusts in Christ, the condition of their heart, the condition of their life is not one that's pleasing to God. It's one that is opposed to God. That is a result of our representative Adam in the garden. You remember Adam and Eve placed in the garden and God creates them in his image so that they would represent him among all creation, that they would rule over all creation and instead they love themselves more than they love God and they they give in to some desires and they allow a creature, the serpent, to usurp that authority and they give in to that. And ever since then, sin has entered into the created world. And sin has entered into our existence so that every person ever born since then, except for Jesus, has been impacted by that sin. And we are immediately held guilty before God because of what Adam did. And that's a hard thing for us to get because we don't really live in a representative society. You know, if you go to the Eastern countries to represent somebody is is a common thing that, that one person's actions have consequences for everyone else. That's a more accepted thing. But here in America, we're individual. We're independent. And we prize ourselves on that. And we still have remnants of some kind of representation. Like I've said before, we have a representative type of government where we elect representatives and those representatives are supposed to go and represent us in the government and their actions and their votes have implications on us. 
We kind of we get that somebody who's representing us, their, impl- their, their actions have implications on us. Or in sports, some of our sports that we play, there's still representation aspects in there. Say if there's a, a tie in some of the sports, hockey or, or soccer or something like that, maybe they go to a shootout. And sometimes in that shootout, depending on the type of league that you're in, maybe one person shoots out for the entire team. And it's all on that one person. You win or lose, and it's all based on that one person. You see, we have, we have some remnants of representation in our society, but something like this, it, it just strikes us as unfair. Why would I be held accountable because of what Adam did? I didn't get the opportunity. And to that, I would just simply say this. Chances are that if you and I got that opportunity, we'd be right in the same boat. Okay, so we, we've got to soberly think about ourselves. And, and two, look, I sin because it's already who I am. When I'm, when I'm born, I'm already corrupted by sin. I sin because I'm a sinner by nature. I don't become a sinner because somewhere along the lines I chose to sin. And that's an important distinction because look what Paul says in another place in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. And again, I, I've got a little bit of context for us starting in, cha- in verse 1. He says, although you were dead in your transgressions and sins, and that's the, that's the state of every person before trusting in Christ, dead because of sin, spiritually dead before God. Dead people don't wake themselves up. Dead people don't resurrect themselves from the dead. Dead people don't do much of anything. And Paul says, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Verse 2, in which you formerly lived according to this world's present path, according to the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's a reference to Satan, the ruler of the spirit that is now energizing the sons of disobedience, among whom all of us also formerly lived, out our lives and the cravings of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and look at this, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. You don't become a child of wrath by choice, by behavior. What Paul is saying is, prior to trusting in Christ, this was our lot. This was our condition. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and by nature, it was our very core, who we were. We were children of wrath. We sin because it's what comes out of us, because it's who we are. We sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. And God's response to sin is wrath. And so, so I'm, I'm starting to take us down a personal path here because I want you to see that God has always responded to sin with wrath. It's not something that's just Old Testament. These are New Testament verses that, that help us to understand that, that this was our condition before God. God responds to opposition as glory with wrath. And it's always good, and it's always right, it's always just. And flashback to Acts for a minute, that's what we see happening in the book of Acts. You've got a man who's in the power of authority, and we know that God has given him this authority because all kings and rulers have their authority simply because God has given it to him. And he's receiving praise and glory as if he is God. And he's standing in the way. So here's the uniqueness of this story, okay? He is standing in the way of the gospel spreading early on. And God does a lot of things in the book of Acts that's unique that maybe we don't see today. 
But remember, there's something new that's taking place as the gospel is spreading by the power of the Spirit. And so God is operating in ways, and there's things that we're going to see that are absolutely unique. In other words, what I don't want you to walk away here this morning is thinking that if I fail to give God glory in some moment, that he's going to strike me dead and I'll be eaten by worms. Okay, that, that's a unique thing that is likely not going to happen to you. But it doesn't mean God doesn't still do this kind of stuff. God can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to, however he wants to do that. We cannot forget that. But where I think this comes home for us is we've got to understand God created all things for his glory. And opposition to his glory brings about God's wrath. The condition of every one of us in here. Now, if you've trusted in Christ, this was true of you before you trusted in Christ. If you've not trusted in Christ, and here's why I say it's not a great visitor sermon, this is true of you. And it's no different than anyone else who's ever been born. We are by nature children of wrath. And because of that, because that's who we are, we are under God's wrath. Jesus said it. You reject the son, you remain under his wrath. You're already there. I was already there. However, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, still the apostle Paul here. He talks about those who trust in Christ and he's talking about the changing course of their life. He says, for God did not destine us for wrath, but for gaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, God is still wrathful towards sin has to be. And, and he has to, has to deal with sin. So when you, when you think about God in the New Testament, you think about God in the Old Testament, don't think that they're different. One and the same God. Here's what makes those testaments different. It's a different covenant. It's a different way of relating to people that God has implemented, that you see kind of happen in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. Jesus comes. Jesus comes and where our first representative, Adam, failed on our behalf. And so because of that, we were all made guilty because of sin. Now our greater representative, Jesus, comes and he lives in our place as our substitute. And then he goes and he takes what we deserve, wrath, death, because of our sin. Which is why Paul in Romans says the wages of sin is death. It's what we earn because of that. Jesus was taking that for those who would trust in him. God was making Jesus, who was innocent, he was putting on him the sins of those who would believe in him so that those who believe in Jesus would be removed from the wrath of God. Same God. He's just dealt with the problem of sin in Christ. He's poured out his wrath for that sin, but if you're in Christ, you don't get it. You don't receive it because instead you receive mercy. You receive grace. And God has not destined you for wrath, but for gaining salvation through Christ. We can't forget who God is. Because when we forget who God is, or we diminish him, and we start to elevate ourselves, that's when we start to have problems with how God acts. But a right perspective, a, a reorienting of our perspective is God is all glorious. He is sovereign. Nothing above him, no one above him. And the greatest thing in all of history that anyone can do is to bring him glory. And the most severe and significant thing that any of his creation can do is to oppose his glory. And that opposition is met with wrath. 
And God will always respond to sin with wrath until sin is done away with. And there will be a day where sin is done away with. And you will either give God glory or you will get God's wrath. It's not a formula. The goal is not to walk out of here and say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk on eggshells around God and I'm going to make sure that I give him credit when things happen. Do that. Give him credit when, when things happen. Absolutely. To give God glory is to trust in Christ. To, to give God glory, one of the highest things that you can do is to be in his son, the one he sent to live in your place. That you would no longer be in opposition to God, but instead would be part of his family. You'd be brought in as sons and daughters. And so this morning, some of you, man, I know it's harsh, but man, I don't want to paint a picture of God that's like the Easter bunny. He's not. God is not safe. If, you, if you're a fan of the Chronicles of Narnia, one of the best lines in there when they talk about Aslan who represents Jesus in that story, Aslan's not safe. He's a lion, by the way, in the story. You don't go and cuddle up against a lion. We've got to remember who God is. But you also got to understand that God has brought you close in Christ because he's dealt with the sin problem. He didn't sweep it under the rug. He's free to bring you and me close because he's dealt with the sin. And now he can bring us in. Some of you this morning, maybe you've never been brought into God's family. Maybe you've never known God as father. Maybe you've never been able to, to, to understand why God sent Jesus. Maybe, maybe none of that has ever made sense, but maybe this morning it is. Maybe it's for the first time it's making sense. And, and you don't have all the answers to all your questions figured out, and that's okay. But maybe this morning you're realizing, I'm in opposition to God. I'm in rebellion against God. And I need to come out from that. And maybe this morning you're realizing what God has done for you in Christ. And God is knocking on that door of your heart. He's calling you. He's saying, today. Today. And he's helping you to understand for the first time what he's done through Christ. And the response is to believe in that. To trust in that. The way the, the Bible talks about it is, is you're trusting in something usually yourself or maybe it's something else you're elevating, something to, to tip those cosmic scales or something to make me right with God to, to somehow when I get at the end of this life, the good will outweigh the bad. You're trusting in something. And so you've got to stop trusting in that and you turn from it. That's called repentance. You stop trusting in what you're trusting in and you turn away from it. And in turning away from it, you turn to something and that's Christ. Repentance and belief are two sides of the same coin. Not two steps in salvation, two sides of the same coin. I stop trusting in what I'm trusting in and I turn away from that and in turning I turn to something else and that turning to something else is trusting in Christ. And then you receive all that is Christ. This morning that's maybe what God is saying to you. And others of you, maybe you've, you've trusted in Christ. We can't forget this. Because we actually, having trusted in Christ, we should be thankful now because of God's mercy. The more we understand God's wrath and his response to sin, the more what it should stir up in us is, oh God, thank you. Because I didn't deserve anything. I deserved what Jesus got. 
And had you given that to me, God, I, I would have been in hell, I would have been condemned, and I would have deserved to have been there. You would have been just in doing that. No questions asked. And yet, God, you chose not to. And simply because of Christ, standing in my place in life and in death and raising from the dead, now, because of him, I get life. And I no longer experience the wrath of God, but instead, 1 John 3, but now God lavishes his love upon us in Christ. What an exchange. That should stir you and me up. That should stir our affections for Christ. That we might love him more intensely, more deeply. That we might pursue him more zealously. That we might pursue others with his message. And so wherever you're at this morning, as Jeff sings over us, let's just take a moment, go before the Lord. And let's deal with him, whatever that looks like this morning. The splendor of the King Clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice All the earth rejoice He wraps himself in light when darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice trembles at his voice how great is our God sing with me how great is our God and all will see how great how great Will you stand this morning and let's sing that if you're able to sing that? How great is our God? Sing with me. How great is our God? And all will see how great, how great is our God. Let's sing name above all names. You're the name above all names. You are worthy of all praise. And my heart will sing how great is our God. How great is our God. And how great is our God. Sing with me how great is our So God, this morning we proclaim that, that you are great. There is no one above you. There is no one greater than you, God. You alone deserve all glory. And God, would you reorient our perspective this morning that we would walk out of here and have a reoriented perspective of who you are, a more elevated vision of who you are so that we might have a more appropriate vision of who we are. And God, there are some this morning who maybe you're calling them to you this morning. God, would you open their eyes, their hearts, that they might believe in Christ this morning. And God, there are others in here this morning who need their hearts stirred and their affections stirred up. Just like, like, like sediment on the bottom of a drink, the sugar has just settled, but it needs to be stirred up so that it can get back in there. And then God, we need to drink deeply 
of you. Drink deeply from your fountain. In just a moment, we'll dismiss, but perhaps you want more prayer on something. Maybe you want someone to pray with you. There will be people available to pray with you as we dismiss. So if you're part of that prayer team, would you go ahead and make your way to different spots in the, in the room here so you can be available? And just let them know what you would like prayer on. Specific prayer about something, let them know. Maybe you want to understand more of the gospel. I want to know more about that or what next steps are. Or, hey, I just trusted in Christ. What do I do now? They'd be glad to visit with you about those things. And so, God, as we depart from here, mark us with your mercy today. You've pursued us with your love. Now, as we depart from here, help us to pursue others. Empower us to pursue others with that same love. For your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. See you guys next week.